The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Good morning, Wilson Boulevard. Hey, it is good to be here. It has been a while since I've been over here. You might wonder why I'm carrying my coffee cup. Mainly, I was really confused. I'm used to being at the theater and like I went to stick it in my cup holder before I came up. Did you guys know you don't have cup holders? You guys are hardcore over here, man. That must be why Jay's regifting everything. He's saving money to buy you all cup holders. Way to go. What a guy, right? In all seriousness, I am really happy to be here today. I don't get, they, they don't let me loose from the theater very often, but it's good to be over here with you this morning. And uh, for the one over here interpreting me, I am sorry for what I'm about to put you through. Uh, so anyway, uh, I better get going with my message because I've already gone over the last two services. So uh, this past summer, Thanks to a uh, driver who decided that stopping at red lights was no longer their thing, um, my beloved bright blue Scion XB was totaled. And uh, I had to console myself a couple days later by fulfilling a childhood dream of owning a red Mustang. So uh, I found a used one I could buy with the insurance money. And so I have had a blast driving my red Mustang. They take that big, gigantic engine out of some huge, huge vehicle, and they shove it in that tiny little car, and we won't discuss what I have made that thing do in the few months I've had it. So uh, I won't admit it publicly anyway, uh, not on record. So, uh, But I've had a blast driving it. That is until our snow day back in November. Now, I am a teacher at North High. I teach math over there. And uh, yeah, North High. Hubs. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm on the wrong side of town, aren't I? <laughs> uh, so pray for me as I get at, try and get out of the parking lot later. Uh, <laughs> I parked my Mustang over at the theater this morning, so you, you can't touch it. Uh, I really need to get back to my message again. Uh, but here's the deal. That snow day came, right? And I'm off work, and I'm thinking like, okay, I learned how to drive in a real-wheel drive vehicle in Erie, Pennsylvania. What's the big deal? So I'm getting out, I'm going to the YMCA, I'm gonna do my workout. And I'm driving there, it's snowing like crazy, snow on the ground, no problem, doesn't bother me, no sweat. I get to the Y, I work out, apparently a little too long. And then when I come out, I discovered the difference between driving in the snow in Erie, Pennsylvania, and driving in the snow in Hagerstown, Maryland. See, growing up in Erie, Pennsylvania, we had these big trucks we call snow plows. And we actually used them. <laughs> we also had these other trucks we call salt trucks. We also used them. Um, there was six inches of snow, ice, and whatever other freezing rain, whatever other slush you could think of, winter slush, six inches deep on Eastern Boulevard, like the main road, right? And. Uh, so I, I tried to get home in my Mustang, and uh, I'm spinning wheels everywhere. Okay, I'm just going, my back tires are doing 60 miles an hour, and I ain't moving. So, you know, I, and if I do get moving, all I do is I go from spinning tires here to moving five feet over here and spinning my tires there. On the off chance I actually get moving, I find myself spun around going the wrong direction. 
right? And so it, it was crazy. It actually took me 35 minutes to get home from the YMCA, two miles. All right, so I'm the math teacher, so I always throw in a free math lesson. If you do the math to that, that works out to an average of three and a half miles an hour, approximately. So approximately three and a half miles an hour. I got to tell you, the sloth from Zootopia went by yelling, get out of the way, slowpoke. Actually, it was more like, get out of the way, slowpoke. So it was not the funnest day ever, right? I just, it felt like I was going nowhere fast. I was going nowhere fast. But you know what's not so funny is when life feels like that. You know, maybe you've been in those moments where you feel like you're just spinning your tires. Like you feel like no matter how hard you try, you're going nowhere. Or maybe you feel like every decision you make sends you in the wrong direction. Every decision you make turns out wrong. Every action you take ends in failure. You know, when you're just going through the motion, spinning your tires, every action feels more like survival than actual living. And the world can be a very dark place in those times and feel very alone and very dark. Forbes magazine asked the question, why are we so unhappy in our American society? And we have all these great new innovations. We have the latest in uh, medical technology. We have the latest in uh, smartphones. I mean, our smartphones are more powerful than any computer was 20 years ago. Well, that is if you have an Android. If you have an iPad, iPhone, it's not all that good. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my goal is to say, just like Spencer sitting everybody, I'm going to see how many people I can make mad before I leave. So uh, you'll be happy to send me back to the theater next week. Um, but, uh, you know, we have all these advancements. We have all these creature comforts now. Life is so much easier than it was 200 years ago. And for those young people in this room, believe it or not, they actually used to make cars that didn't have air conditioning in them. And you actually had to roll your window down. Ask my son, the car I gave him, you see he still has to roll his window down. And he's here somewhere. But, uh, but in spite of all of that, American society, our culture, is the most unhappy we have ever been. Why? Because we're relying on man-made advancements changing our external circumstances to fix what's broken inside. And when we have all that new stuff and all the latest of everything, and we still, it doesn't fix anything, it then leads to hopelessness and despair. Perhaps you can relate. You lose that loved one that you relied on. You face tragedy you have those dark moments. Family stress piled a mile high. You wonder, is my family even going to survive? Is there going to be another argument tonight? Is there going to be violence tonight? Are we going to have food to put on the table tonight? Financial pressure that is overwhelming. You lost that job that you relied on and there was no safety net.
And now you're trying to stretch $10 into 20 and 20 into 50. And you have no idea how you're going to pay the bills. I don't know what your dark moments in life have looked like. But I know everybody in this room knows what, it like, what it's like to walk through dark moments in life. Some of you are walking through them right now. I remember some of the darkest moments of my life in my early 30s. <clears throat> I had spent my entire adult life studying and then being in full-time ministry. At the age of 32, I found myself having quit ministry. I was angry at God. I was angry at the church. I was angry at Christians. Mostly, I was, I was angry at myself. Felt like the biggest failure in the world. Everything I had worked for, I had just walked away from. I'd quit. I felt like a complete and total failure. How could God ever use me again? I felt like I had failed God and that my life would never again be useful to him. I felt like I'd failed my family. My wife went back to work full time. She was working 20 hours of overtime every week. She barely saw our kids. While I was at home, trying to survive two toddlers. Don't tell my kid, oh, wait, my son's here. Never mind. <laughs> See, it's hard surviving two toddlers at home. <laughs> Some of you can relate. <laughs> Some of you are going through that darkness right about now. <laughs> That's why you're in church, because you can pass them off for, a few, for an hour or so. <laughs> oh, you're laughing because it's true. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I remember laying in bed sometimes, fighting chest pains because the stress had me so, so at the end of everything, feeling like a complete failure, wondering, was my life ever going to be useful again? Had I completely botched things for my family? Was there ever going to be good days ahead? Was there even a light at the end of the tunnel? Maybe you... I know your dark times probably look different than mine, but you know what it's like. And for some of you, those dark moments aren't a distant memory that, you can, that you're telling a story about. For some of you, those dark moments are what your reality is right now. You feel like you're just trying to survive. Living, dreams, they aren't even in your thought process. Now, when you're going through darkness, we've been studying the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, when you're in the middle of darkness, a list of the names of Jesus' ancestors, it just doesn't seem like it has any relativity to what I'm going through, right? When I'm going through, when you're going through darkness, what can a list of names speak into my life? But here's the thing. It wasn't just a list of names. The genealogy of Jesus in Luke in the book of Luke, is literally the story of Jesus woven through every generation that had ever existed to that point in time. And we see Jesus at work through all of them. Let's take a look. Luke actually does the genealogy backwards. He starts with Jesus, works back to Adam and God. And we're going to go the other way. We're going to start at the end of Luke's genealogy and work forward. So we see names like God. We've heard of him. Hey, so that's where the genealogy, that was the beginning. 
We see God in that, obviously. Then next came Adam. The next generation was Adam. And man, what a cool dude. This guy actually walked with God in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, he screwed up a few things. But the dude walked with God, literally, in the Garden of Eden. A few generations later, we come upon Noah. We know that name. This dude saved all of mankind forever by building a boat. Pretty cool. A few generations later, we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know those names. They are the pillars, the foundations of our faith. Several generations later, we come upon King David, a man the Bible described as a man after God's own heart. And we look at these names, I don't know about you, I really don't feel like I identify with these names. I, I don't feel like a God. I don't feel like Adam. I don't feel like an Abraham. I don't feel like a David. Well, I do feel like a David, because that's my name. But I don't feel like a King David. Does that make sense? I don't feel like any of those. But something changed in the genealogy. We see God at work through all of these. And then after King David, something happens. And what we have now is 40 almost nameless anonymous generations that led up to Joseph, Jesus' father, or so it was thought. This I identify with. Nameless people that we can't really hardly even say what they did, what God did in their life, or what they were good for. You read through those names. I, I tell you, I've got a Bible college degree. Most of those 40 names, I don't know. The ones I do know, most of the ones I know, I know virtually nothing about them because the Bible tells us very little about any of those 40. There, there are a couple of them along the way we know some more about, but, but basically compared to Noah and Adam and Abraham and Isaac, and Je it's just generation after generation we start to see a, a period of darkness in Israel. Through this period, God was no longer speaking through the prophets. Israel was actually going through one of the darkest periods, well, the darkest period of their time, kind of like my time, my early 30s, maybe for some of you, this feels like the darkest period of your life. So they were going through a dark time and they were wondering, does God even love me anymore? Have I screwed up so bad that God is not going to send his Savior? Have I just botched things completely? Or did I miss God somewhere along the way? Did we miss the Savior? Yeah, Israel was asking those same questions that we sometimes lie in bed asking. Is God even listening to me anymore? Or have I so screwed up that God's not even listening anymore? Those are the generations I identify with, right? But here is the cool thing. At the end of that, we're right back to where we started, Jesus. You see, Jesus was with God at the beginning during creation. He was woven through those generations we could, that we could see, but even when we couldn't see him, Jesus was still being woven through those generations. You see, every, literally everything that took place in human history up to that moment was setting up for the big reveal of Jesus Christ come from heaven to earth. It's kind of like move that bus, the big reveal at the end. 
Am I the only one that's seen that show? I know my wife has. She's seen every episode 512 times each. But then came Jesus. Can I share with you, if you're going through a dark period in your life, please know it's not that God has abandoned you or that he isn't listening. He's setting up for the big reveal. He's setting up your life for that moment where Jesus is going to be the big reveal and you're going to see how he was woven through every generation, through all of those dark periods in your life. You're going to look back and see how God was weaving Jesus through your story as both the plot and the hero of your story. But then came Jesus. So now we're going to take a look at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Not Jesus, the son of Joseph, but the moment he turned that knob, flipped that switch, and became Jesus, the son of God, publicly. So Luke chapter 4, the next chapter, Jesus stood up in the synagogue in his hometown to read the scripture, which was common for young, uh, young men who wanted to be teachers and so he stood up to read, and he picked a scripture from Isaiah. Everything's normal so far. And he starts reading this uplifting scripture from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So far, so good. But now... Everything changes. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. With those words, Jesus changed everything. What he was saying is, whatever you need, I am going to be for you. I am the savior of the world. I am, it was the big reveal, the move that bus moment. They were confused, actually, because they are sitting there thinking like, really? And in fact, the next, the next verse, verse 22 says, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? They were confused, like, this is the guy we've known all along, right? He's just a common person like us. What they didn't understand is that was the whole point. God coming from heaven to earth to become a common man among common men but then to bring heaven down to earth with him. He saw us in our darkness. He knew we were helpless as human beings to rescue ourselves. So he came to earth to rescue us. And he became everything we needed him to be. So at this moment, what Jesus was saying was, for every problem man faces, Jesus is the answer. No matter what generation you're from, whether you're from the anonymous generations or the highlighted generations. I don't care if you're generation X, generation Y, generation Z, generation PDQ. I don't care if you're a millennial, a centennial, or something in between. Whatever generation you're from, Jesus is the answer. Whatever your family you were gifted with, or stuck with, Jesus is the answer. No matter what heartache you've ever experienced or are going through now, Jesus is 
the answer. And that's today's big idea. Jesus is. Literally, the answer to every question of your soul begins with the words Jesus is. Every answer of your soul. Jesus is whatever you need him to be. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the end. You need Jesus to be a lion. Jesus is the lion. You need him to be the lamb. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the alpha, the omega. When you're hurting physically, Jesus is the great physician. When you're hurting emotionally, Jesus is the great comforter. When you're suffering the effects of your own mistakes and sins, Jesus is our great redeemer and our savior. Whatever you need him to be, Jesus is today. Literally the answer to every question of the soul begins with the two words, Jesus is. It's not only the answer we think it's going to be, but the right answer, Jesus is. And so this morning we're going to look back and we are going to look back at the words of Jesus we just read as he read that scripture. And now we're just going to review, I'm going to review down through it, exactly what Jesus was telling us he came to earth to be for us. You see, we read through that scripture and we're just reading it kind of off the top of our heads, but what Jesus was actually declaring, he was declaring everything he intended to be in your life when he read that scripture and in the end said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and I'm here to tell you whatever you're going through, whatever period of darkness you may face, no matter how much you're spinning your wheels today, Jesus is the answer. Today that scripture you can take hold of it, and it will be made real. It'll be fulfilled in your hearing today. So let's take a quick look back. Verse 18, first thing Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So the first thing we learn is Jesus is our good news. What this means is there's a lot of bad news in this world. There's a lot of negativity out there. But Jesus came to bring us good news, and here's the good news. Every one of us is a sinner. That doesn't sound like good news yet, but it, trust me, it gets there very quickly. That, what that means is, from the Bible's description, we have all made decisions that go in opposition to what God's intention for our life is. And in making those decisions, we have set our course of eternity towards eternal death. And so we've all found ourselves headed on a one-way highway to eternal death. But that was not okay with God because he loved us too much. And so God sent his only son. He brought heaven to earth because he knew we had no answer here on earth. So he literally brought heaven down to earth in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, he died on a cross, and then rose again to bring us good news in our life. And the good news is this, that if you will simply accept his forgiveness to all who will believe in him, he exchanges that eternal death for eternal life. He literally drops a U-turn on that road where there wasn't one before. And he says, all you have to do is welcome me into your life. Today, if you have never started a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you know that you need God in your life, but he, he wasn't in your life when you walked through that door today, today's your day. Today's your chance. 
And in a few minutes when we pray at the end of the message, it's going to be your chance. And all you have to do is in your own words, in your own way, let God know, I need you in my life. I need you in my life. God's not impressed with fancy prayers. In fact, I'll tell you this, you can stop listening to me now and start praying now if that's you. God doesn't, God's not going to be upset with you, <laughs> trust me. Every one of us needed the good news of Jesus Christ in our life. Every one of us, as Paul said, was a sinner simply saved by grace, not by our own doing. And that is the good news that Jesus is for us. Let us never forget the blessing that we have in the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came from heaven to earth to preach the good news, to let us know that there was hope where we once were hopeless. So let's read on. What else did Jesus say that, that he would be for us? The next, the next part of the verse says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I don't know what brokenness you're facing today, but Jesus wants to be the healer for you today. Maybe it's a physical brokenness, but you know, I never understood why we teach kids that saying, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's actually the biggest lie ever. Because I can tell you, I'd much rather you punch me in the gut than cut me up, up with your words. I can punch back. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we all know emotional pain can be much, much worse than physical pain. So whatever's broken in your life right now, whether it's emotional, whatever, Jesus is telling you today that he is the healing for your broken heart. You know, in, in our world, in our lives, we, we tend to look for the quick fix in our microwave world. And, and we want something that will just cure everything really fast. If we have a physical problem, we're hoping that we'll just take this medication or have this surgery and it's over and done with. If it's a, uh, an emotional issue, we hope to just you know, get some good advice, a little bit of counseling, and move on with our lives, right? Uh, if, if it's a chemical issue, we, we sometimes turn to drugs just to numb the pain, if it's, a, um, if it's a relation issue, we think, wow, if I just find the right friend or if I found myself a boyfriend or girlfriend or, or if I found the right spouse, all my problems would go away. If it's a philosophical issue, we think maybe if I just change my outlook, change my attitude, everything would fix itself. But the problem is that all of our brokenness also has a spiritual issue behind it as well, has a spiritual component. E even physical healing, they've proven that faith improves healing. They can't explain it, but they've proven that there is a spiritual aspect to healing, that faith can actually help you heal better physically. And so, look, I'm not telling you not to seek those other answers. Those were all good things. Well, except the illegal drugs. Don't do drugs. I can't emphasize that enough. I like my jobs. Don't do drugs. I'm not telling you to do that today. Here's the point, though. 
there's a spiritual component to everything. Don't seek your answer solely outside of Jesus Christ. If Jesus isn't the first part of your solution, you're never going to be find a permanent solution. Jesus is the permanent solution to our temporary problems. So if you need help physically, by all means, go see a doctor. Take the medication if they prescribe it. But don't leave Jesus out of the equation. If you need emotional help, by all means, if you think you can get help from a counselor, go. But don't think that they're going to have every answer because part of the solution involves Jesus is healing for your brokenheartedness. Do not leave Jesus out of the equation. Whatever your brokenness is today, Jesus wants to help you begin. The rest of it is like putting a, without Jesus, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. It'll help, but it'll never cure the problem. So make sure that whatever you're doing to fix your brokenness begins with Jesus is. He wants to be today, the healing for your brokenheartedness. As we read on, the next section of that scripture he read says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free. What he's telling us here is that he wants to be, that Jesus is freedom for the captive. This is for those of you who identified with that earlier when I talked about feeling trapped by life. Like you're spinning your wheels at 60 miles an hour, but going nowhere. And if you ever do get free, you just go a few feet over here and then you start spinning your wheels again. And you just feel like no matter what you do in life, you're trapped. And you keep finding yourself trapped. You move from one trap to the next, from one thing to the next. And you never really seem to break free. Jesus is saying today, I want to be your freedom today. I want to bring freedom where you've had captivity. So those things that control us, addictions, life controlling habits that are destroying us. If you today are feeling haunted by the fears and regrets of the past, trapped by your sinful desires and longings or imprisoned by your worries and your stress, Maybe you feel chained to the abuses that happened to you in the past or are happening to you now. Jesus is saying right now, Jesus is freedom for the captive. He wants to give you true freedom. He's not just transferring you from downtown to the county jail, from one cell to the next. He wants to set you free for real. The last part of verse 18 says, and recovery of sight to the blind. Imagine for a moment, the worship team will be coming back in, in just a couple minutes and imagine if I blindfolded all of them, what it would look like up here. They'd all be going like this, wandering around, knocking over the guitars, knocking over the TV, breaking things, wandering aimlessly, not able to see, not able to have any direction, wondering what am I even doing up here? If I can't find my instrument, what am I doing up here? So this one's for all of you who were like me as I went through my dark moments and you just felt like every decision you made was wrong. 
every direction you took was wrong. Jesus is saying, I want to be, give purpose for the directionless. I couldn't have imagined in those dark moments that just a couple years later, I would find myself moving to Hagerstown, Pennsylvania, or Hagerstown, Maryland, and yeah, Pennsylvania, what in the world? I told you I was gonna make you all mad before I left. <laughs> and you know who the very first person I met in Hagerstown was? And you may have recognized the name, Patrick Gratch. Before I knew it, I was the youth pastor at Lifehouse, and before I knew it, I'm the campus, it's years later, and I'm the campus pastor at the theater, and I can tell you that every dream I ever had in for God to use me for his kingdom over the last 14 years has come true. God wants to bring purpose to your life. If you feel directionless, if you feel like my car, that every time you finally get moving, you're going in the wrong direction, that failure seems to be inevitable in your life. Jesus wants to bring real purpose to your life today. Verse 19 says this, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And I want to close with this thought. Jesus is referencing the year of Jubilee. And the Jewish people, every 50 years, celebrated the year of Jubilee. And the idea was this, no matter how bad your first 49 years were, no matter how much you lost, all of God's blessings were returned to you. Your debts were canceled your land was returned to you if you lost it. Everything you lost, no matter how dark the first 40, I just turned 49 years old, so I kind of have a frame of reference here. No matter how dark the first 49 years are, there was always the year of Jubilee. What was Jesus saying? He was saying to you and I today that he was declaring a permanent year of Jubilee. A permanent year of Jubilee. When Jesus sets you free, he sets you free permanently. He doesn't want you to be constantly held down or constantly held back. And so this morning, he was also declaring that this is the final generation. Not, I don't mean like the end of the world is coming. I'm really gonna get fired, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> what I mean is this, that genealogy, it got to Jesus and that's it. There's no need for any other gen, anything added to that genealogy. And here's why, because when he died on a cross on Calvary and rose again, he created a way for you and I to become children of God, just like him on the same line with Jesus. That, that's crazy, because I don't deserve that. But now I have a line I can identify with, not because I'm good. Paul said, we are all sinners saved by grace. But because of what Jesus did, that last line now says, Jesus and Dave Johnson, children of God. And so it's the final generation, a generation of a permanent year of Jubilee. And your name is on that list too. As we close in prayer, maybe, you, maybe your name isn't on that list yet. Maybe you're saying, I don't have God in my life. Now is your time. When I close in prayer, just as I said earlier, simply let God know, I need you in my life. He'll be there. 
For the rest of you, I ask this question, what do you need Jesus to be right now? What are you going through that you need Jesus to be right here, right now? Do you need him to bring purpose to your directionless life? Do you need him to be your freedom from the captivity you've been fighting? Do you need him to bring healing to your brokenness? What do you need Jesus to be right now? Heavenly Father, we celebrate with those who are asking you into their life for the first time, who are saying, God, I need you in my life. Thank you for adding their names to that permanent generation next to your name as a child of God right here, right now, not because of what they've done, but because of what you did for them, because you were the good news. God, for everybody else in this place, whatever it is that they are asking you to be for them right now, I pray, bring healing to the brokenhearted in this place. Bring freedom to those who have felt like they were held captive in this place. Bring direction and purpose to those who have felt aimless and purposeless in this life. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.